to a brand new episode of Name on the Trophy at the Manchester United podcast with me, Dominic Booth. Alex Wiley is with me once again. Um, morning, Alex. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, enjoying the nice weather. Not enjoying the continuous controversy and scandal and negativity around Manchester United, on the other hand. Um, bit of a depressing time for the club at the moment and not just on the pitch. Um Obviously, the Anthony issues at the moment and Mason Greenwood saga yeah. and fallout between Jane Sancho and, and Eric Ten Hag. But despite all of that, we're going to talk about defence, aren't we? Because um, there's a few bugbears that we think we both want to get off our chest about United's defence and the transfer window that's just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought the transfer window, I still, I still now maintain that the transfer window went fairly well, but you're right in defense things were overlooked and look those are simpler things to talk about than the myriad of terrible things that are happening elsewhere on the pitch and and off the pitch so it might be nice to have a little rest and talk about just footballing matters for the time being at least yeah well united have got a couple of weeks to stew on their late defeat by arsenal um now the international break i don't know if that comes at a good time or not for united but it, it certainly felt like the any optimism was punctured by uh, those late goals by Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus at the Emirates. Uh, just quickly on that game, it probably ties into the defensive issues that we're going to talk about, uh, Alex. I thought United played well in patches um, and were unlucky to to lose the game, obviously, in the fashion that they did. It just it seemed to sum up the mentality of the team and maybe even the club, um, the reaction to... Garnacho's offside goal and how United just completely crumbled in added time. It was a really bad sign for me. And it, it yeah, I just don't think it, it reflected well on the players at all. Maybe not, but I do think I think fans and pundits rely too heavily on what the actual final scoreline was rather than reflecting on what the game itself was. There's a very easy reality to conjure up in your head in which Garnacho's goal was given as onside. We go up 2-1. We hold out for the next five minutes, which is probably likely, even with this United team. And we walk away from the Emirates with a 2-1 win with almost an identical game having happened. So I'm uneasy criticising United for that game. I actually thought the game plan worked I thought the Garnaccio goal itself I know it was ruled offside but the the bit of play and the transition to make that goal was world class I thought and yeah like I said I I don't think we were as bad as a lot of fans reacted to it I, I don't think it was that bad of a game likewise with the Spurs game I thought first half against Spurs the game plan worked and second half it didn't but again that game could have ended in a different way than it did. And for both those games to have ended without us getting any points, I actually think we're quite unfortunate with. Ironically, I think it's the games that we've won this season that have concerned me more. For me, the worst performance of the season has been the Wolves game. Yeah, we yeah. were outplayed at home against Wolves, aside that I think some are tipping for relegation. And I know we won that game and maybe... As a result, as I was saying before, the fans didn't put enough weight on that. That was by far the worst performance. And the Forest game as well, I think we deserve to win that in the end, but 
that we made such a meal of it, given that it was against a team that could also get relegated this year. That concerns me more than the Tottenham game and definitely the Arsenal game. I, I put the Arsenal game as one of our better performances this season, ironically. Yeah, possibly, especially against the, the calibre of, of opponent. Uh, Ars- Arsenal, I wasn't that impressed with, to be honest. I thought that, yeah, it was an even money game, like you say, until until the end. It's just the fact that that record of away defeats against good sides uh, hasn't been put to bed, hasn't been addressed. And the Spurs and, and Arsenal games, like you say, to get no points from those two uh, is is an issue. I think something for Ten Hag to, to look at, although the game plan might have been successful uh, on both occasions, it didn't yield anything. Um, and maybe this comes down to the issue that we're going to talk about with, in, with the defence and that United, uh, especially when their key defenders are, are not on the pitch, seem a very, very soft touch. And finishing the game at the Emirates with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans, Leicester's defence from 2018, um, mm. reflects really poorly on, on the club's planning in the transfer window for me. We spoke about this in the summer. We we both thought that the United should have signed an extra centre-back. They didn't. And straight away, uh, Raphael Rang gets injured. Luke Shaw, who is your, your immediate cover on the left centre-back position, as well as a left-back, gets injured. And then Martinez and Lindelof go off injured in the same game. I know you could say that's just bad luck. Injuries happen, but it leaves United looking really, really open and really, really weak in that position. I agree. I I, I specifically agree with saying that it's bad luck. I think... It is bad luck, yeah. For both your left-backs to get injured, as well as your right-sided centre-back as well as you like left-sided centre-back and your backup right-sided centre-back, I think if that happens to any team on the planet, they would be left a little short. I think even if that happened to Manchester City, they would be left a little short. If they lost, I mean, I don't know, Gavardiol, um Yeah, I don't need to go through the names, but the point is it could happen to any elite side and they would be left a little short. My frustrations with United were the left-sided um, side of, of of central defence. Because for me, although Luke Shaw can play left-sided centre-back and has looked good doing so, have him being the backup to the left-sided centre-back and also the primary left-back just leaves you short regardless, really, because you've got three players covering left centre-back and left-back. I know we now have got Reguillon, but previous to that, it was just three players. And... My other frustration is on the right side, we've signed someone in Rafael Varane whose injury record at United has been, quite frankly, appalling. <laughs> like, I, I, was, I was going through the number of games he's missed. So since he's been at United, he's missed 34 games, which is roughly 17 games per season. At Real Madrid, he was missing roughly 10 games per season. And that's more or less double what the average centre-back misses going into this. So you've got a player who you're signing in his late 20s. He's already getting injured significantly more than the average centre-back. And I'm not saying it's fair to expect him to have been injured this often, because I do think that's been pretty uh, unforeseeable. But still, it's a player that you want to be your starting right-sided centre-back who doesn't seem someone who can always be fit. 
and that I do find frustrating and a frustration I've got with the recruitment team one of many frustrations but you do need to look at that kind of thing when you're bringing in a player especially a player on that sort of money that's one of the first things you you should be taking into consideration and it seems to me that United just didn't well when Varane's on the pitch there's absolutely no problem with him is there he's world-class elite uh centre-back each I think he makes a huge difference and does a lot of stuff that's actually not picked up and seen by by fans and pundits. And then, then, then when you take him out, like you say, that is a major, major issue. Uh, I don't have a huge problem with Victor Lindelof. I think he rarely lets United down. I think he played quite well against Arsenal, actually. I thought he was doing a really good job keeping Arsenal fairly quiet. But is he the standard of centre-back you want? If, if, like you say, if he's going to be first choice a lot of the time with Iran injured, um. United were linked with some right-sided centre-backs over the summer, weren't they? Uh, mm-hmm. We questioned that, thinking, well, even if you do sell Harry Maguire, you've got Varane and Lindelof on the right side, and then Martinez, and not a lot of cover for, for him on the left side, uh, uh, other than Luke Shaw, who's a left-back anyway. So, should United have gone for a right-sided one or a left-sided one? Maybe increasingly, the, the search for a right-sided one was the right call, although it didn't produce anything. I still think the priority should have been a backup left-sided centre-back. I think what's happened this season is so rare you shouldn't plan for it, if that makes sense. The one thing that I think, and this is hindsight's twenty twenty, but we shouldn't have signed a player like Rafael Varane, who's as injury-prone as Rafael Varane was. I think that that is the reason for a lot of our issues, certainly last season. I think with Martinez, I know he had the bad injury last season, but prior to that, had never really had a huge amount of time off. I know he'd had a few games off actually shortly before he signed for United, but previous to that, hadn't had a lot of injuries. So I don't blame United for that, but I do come back to looking at the Varane signing and looking at a player who was 28 at the time likely at his peak or slightly past his peak and already had a bad injury record. I blame United for not thinking about that and planning for that accordingly. I think having Lindelof as your backup right-sided centre-back is fine. I don't have a problem with that. I think most very, very good sides could have that as their backup. I don't I don't really have a problem. Maguire, to be fair to him, very rarely gets injured. And although I think it's not going to work out for him at United because I think the fan base has quite frankly written him off. I still think he's a good centre-back, so I don't mind even having him as your third choice. I blame United really for not having someone to back up the left side, an actual centre-back backing up the left side. And I blame them for signing a player in Varane who it was, it was on the cards that he could get injured quite a lot. And I know he's got injured more than I thought he would, but United definitely should have been thinking about that when they brought him in for so much money. Yeah, that 2021 summer transfer window is looking more and more questionable the more you look at it. Um, Jaden Sancho was a player United wanted for four years uh, and it turns out they didn't know where to play him and it, there's questions over his his mentality behind the scenes, let's say. Um, and he's been United for two years and, and not produced anything like what they expected of him. Cristiano Ronaldo was another sign that summer. Enough said. Um, and Rafa Varane was the other one. 
on the on the surface at the time, United fans got very excited about those three. Mm. Um, it just looks like poor planning in each case now. And I agree, uh, Varane's not the not the youngest. Um, like you say, City have gone out and and signed a few centre backs in the last few years who have been of a good age, a good profile on the ball, exactly the kind of player that that Pep Guardiola has wanted and has and can depend on. Guardiola being the latest, um, feels like United have always been searching for that transformative centre back signing, such as a Virgil Van Dijk for Liverpool or a Ruben Diaz for City. Um, they landed on a five-time Champions League winner, but if he's not available to play, then it mm. doesn't really help you, does it? I, I, Mar- Martinez is a very good signing. I, I, I think most United fans absolutely love him, love his attitude. Mm. But it was notable against Arsenal when you took him off the pitch, a certain bite, uh, an aggression and steeliness within the United back line, which could have helped them get at least a point. Forget the Garnacho goal. United should have got a point when it was one all. They, sh- they should have shut up shop and and, and seen that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't. Yeah. I think that's indicative of the, of the type of player that they have. And, and Den Haag's been all about signing players with with the right kind of personality and the right kind of determination. Surely there was there were players out there. I mean, John Claire Tadebo, Benjamin Pavar, and Kim Min Jai with three centre backs United were heavily linked with in the summer. Um none were signed uh, and none of them were even left side of centre backs anyway. So that's potentially a different question. Um it's potentially United a case, a case of United not backing Ten Hag enough with the right players in the in the transfer window. I think it's tricky. I I don't think United had a lot of money to spend by the end of the window. I think you saw with the Region and the Amrabat deals, there's a reason they're both loans. I mean, Region, to be fair, is a loan for for other reasons because we've already got two left-backs. But Amrabat is a player that Ten Hag and United, they wanted they wanted to sign. Like they want, They wanted that to be a permanent transfer and literally couldn't do it because of bad planning in previous seasons. Bad selling give, as well, right? Well, yeah, it's they bad. They could have it's got bad selling. Sales. Yeah, I, I don't think United have helped themselves by giving players such huge contracts as well because it makes it very difficult to then sell those players if they fall out of favour. And you were talking about the Rafael Varane window with Ronaldo. I think that was Woodward's swan, swan, swan song yeah. final yeah. window uh, before he left. Um, and this was uh, United's Woodward in essence, really, it was signing names, not really doing the due diligence, not fully thinking things through. And now we're, that's bearing fruit. Um, it's rotten fruit, but it's it's bearing fruit. And until we have the finances to actually have to sign players that we want to sign, um, we're going to be stuck in it to, to, to an extent. We're going to have to keep doing loan deals and not being able to quite get the players that we want. And that's just due to bad planning, bad business planning, bad football planning. And yeah, that, that's where we are right now. Um, I don't think it's the case of United not backing Ten Hag. I think with all three of those centre-backs you mentioned, there's no way those deals could have been done because we just didn't have the funds to do them. Yeah, I don't know. Backing Ten Hag doesn't necessarily mean financially backing him. It just means offering him the support um, in terms of the targets that he wants and I know that costs money. The two definitely go together. Um, did United 
could United have been in a situation where they sold Maguire, sold McTominay for £60 million together, um, got a bit of money for Donny van der Beek, got more money for Dean Henderson, um, and created themselves the funds to sign Amrabat, who was available for less than £30 million anyway. I mean, if, you, if your top target in midfield is available for that much, go and sign him at the start of the summer. Don't wait until three, four games into the season and sign him on loan. Uh, and if your manager doesn't want Harry Maguire in the building, let him go for thirty million to West Ham. That was a very acceptable offer, as far as I was concerned, for for Maguire, player that you, your manager doesn't want. And then go and sign a young left sided centre back. Um, I believe you did a video on your Sabre Sports um, channels about Facundo Medina of Lons, mm-hmm. um, yep. who seems to fit the bill, doesn't he? Is a left sided centre back who probably wouldn't expect to start every game. And there must be similar players out there that, that I can't think of off the top of my head that but are available or were available for United to, to look at in the summer. Yeah, the Medina profile I like for quite a few reasons. He he plays almost week in, week out. He's still fairly young. And he has a very, very similar pro- profile to Martinez. I mean, they're excellent ball progressors. I think Medina actually plays double the amount of progressive passes that Martinez does. And Martinez is already a progressive centre-back. He's competitive with him in the Argentinian team. So in certain Argentina games, Medina's actually started ahead of Martinez. But because he's playing for Lons, I don't think he would arrive with the sort of profile that would expect game time. And I think he would still see it as a step up. And then you've got two players who have very similar profiles. Um would likely compete with each other and push each other to higher levels. And then you've got that left-sided section tied down for at least a couple of years. That, to me, makes more sense than going out and buying a right-sided centre-back. And it, I thought it was interesting when you spoke about the certain sales that we could have done. And I agree with you, actually. Looking back on it, we should have got more money for Dean Henderson. I don't understand how we're selling him for the same amount that City are selling Trafford for. I mean, Dean Henderson's played consistent Premier League football and they're not too uh too recent um past. So yeah, I, I, that is a frustration. Um because that could have freed up money for Amrabat. That could have even freed up money for players like Medina. And just one point on the Maguire thing, United did actually accept the offer, but it was uh it was a strange one in that the the club that was trying to buy Maguire, West Ham, hadn't actually spoken to Maguire yet, which almost never happens in football transfers nowadays. It's almost always the reverse. Um, and in that case, Maguire just didn't want to go. And then you're still asking... It was like, a payoff well, situation as well, wasn't there? United could have potentially paid him off, but didn't quite yeah. fancy doing that. I know that's tricky. And it's also, you, you feel like, why isn't there a conversation with Maguire as the bid's coming in internally at United, speaking about where they actually see him at the club and asking him, you know, maybe it is time for you to move on. It's not really working out. And I don't feel like those sort of conversations and that sort of planning happens at United. It's it's very reactionary. And that's you know, one of many frustrations I have with the club. What about in the short term then, this this defensive situation? You mentioned the the addition of Reggion, um to help the left-back uh, issue with, with Shaw and Molassi, both are injured. Although Diogo Dallas played the last two games there. Um, the Martinez and Lindelof partnership has to obviously continue but what does Ten Hag do for example when Shaw comes back 
does he slot into a left-sided centre-back position in the absence if, if uh, Martinez is absent? Um, how does he sh- shuffle his pack as he has now? Because I think we both agree that Johnny Evans and, and Harry Maguire is not a, a future partnership for this United defence. No, I think I think the Reggion deal was a little knee-jerk. Mm. I think having Dallow at left-back for a month or so wasn't the end of the world. And we did have Alvaro Fernandez, but I think he's gone out on loan again, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but going to Martinez, I think Martinez is actually okay. I saw a quote from Ten Hag, I think it was yesterday, saying that he's actually fine. It was just a bruise on his foot. And obviously with the metatarsal injury he had recently, I suspect he was overly cautious and that's why he took himself off. I think he's actually fine. So I think Martinez should be back after the international break. But the left side, I'm not sure how much game time Reguillon's going to get. I can see why Ten Hag likes him. He's an attacking fullback. He's someone who'll be willing to get up there. But I'm not sure how... I think Malassia's not that far away from coming back. You might correct me otherwise. I think Luke Shaw's got a little bit longer. But there's a there's a very obvious well, scenario that you can think of in in a month's time, both our left backs are back and we're just paying Reggion's salary for him to just sit on the bench. Um, not even so, the bench, yeah, maybe. Not even the bench. So that's why I, I don't quite see the full reasoning of that deal. I think it was a little bit knee-jerk. Um, I think things will return back to, they will regress to the mean quite quite quickly. This number of injuries just doesn't, it doesn't stay like this for very long. It never does. It's, it's such a, a weird situation that you've just got to ride it out. I, I wouldn't try and um, sort of think about, oh, do we need to do these things different? Do we need to do these things different? Look, th- this number of injuries is freakish. Just ride it out, move players around, get Dallas to play left back for a little bit and things will regress to the mean. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, looking at the timescales for some of these injuries, Ten Hag is always disconcertingly vague about um, when people are back. It's always a few weeks or it will take time. Um, and injuries are always muscle injuries or impact injuries. So there's uh, sparingly little information out there on those injuries. But you are right. And the bottom line is United's first choice back for is a good one. Was a good one last year. Kept, um, I think, the most clean sheets apart from City in the league. Um so it's not a disaster, but I think your point about future planning is the is the bottom line, isn't it? I think that looking ahead to summer 2024, uh, a young centre-back has to be top of the priority list, uh, maybe among three or four other positions, depending on, on how bad United are until then. Yeah, I mean, talking about the defence, the position, I think might need looking at and I haven't heard many pundits or fans talking about it is Casemiro I love Casemiro I, I I think his his attitude is perfect I think he still reads the game very well but he quite frankly doesn't have the legs to for Ten Hag to play exactly how he wants to play so I heard over the summer Ten Hag talking about turning United into the ultimate transition team so being very good on counter-attacks, but also counter-pressing when they lose the ball. I think we do have the players to be that. If you talk about counter-attacks, Garnacho, Rashford, 
Hoyland now. You've got Bruno Fernandes who can play those passes. If you're talking about counter-pressing, Bruno Fernandes and Mason Mount, perfect for that. Anthony's good for that. The one player that I have big concerns about in terms of counter-pressing is Casemiro. And you saw it at the start of the season when we wanted to play that way. We had Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes playing almost as two tens, pushing really high up. And whenever we lost the ball, they'd immediately try and press it. And that meant Casemiro then had to push up as well in a more isolated position. And quite frankly, he was too easy to get past. And that's why in the Wolves game and um, in the Spurs game, there were quite a few chances for the opposition in, when the, in which they just broke through our press. And that's not to say the first line of the press wasn't good. I just think once that very first line is broken down and you have Casemiro isolated, that's a big, big problem because he hasn't got the legs to cover it. Let's say we had someone like Moises Caicedo in that role then us being one of the best transition teams in the world, I can be like, yeah, because we've got great players who can lead the press. And then if they get through that, they've got someone like Caicedo who can cover cover the ground. With Casemiro, I don't think we can play that way. And I don't think it's a coincidence that since Mason Mount's got injured and we've had Ericsson who's dropping a little bit deeper and just being another body, even though he doesn't do that much defensive work, he's still another body that just plays a little bit deeper and we're pressing slightly less that our defence has looked a little bit better. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I do think Ten Hag certainly needs to think about how the defence is going to be structured if Casemiro is going to be the one doing that that defensive work because I don't think he has the legs to do it. Yeah, the Amrabat, is, the Amrabat addition is fascinating in that regard, isn't it? Whether he can come in alongside or instead of Casemiro for some games, I find fascinating he looks very, very press resistant um, and he looks like a good carrier of the ball and a good passer of the ball. So I kind of had, have big hopes for him in, in that role. But like you say, the, the difference that Casemiro made to United when coming in last season was absolutely massive. Uh, and he, his passing game surprised me. It was his raking long passes out to the, the wide areas for Rashford. That that played into how, how Ten Hag wants to play, but I still doubt United's ability on the press. I, I still don't think that the United are as good at pressing as Ten Hag wants us to be or thinks that they can be. And it was a counter-attacking side under Solskjaer. There's still a lot of counter-attacking type players in, in that side and that squad. Um, used to sitting deeper, like you said, that United did against Arsenal. In fact, Arsenal seemed really scared of United's counter-attack, especially in that first yeah. half when they basically let United have the ball. They were frightened to death of, of Rashford on the break. And then the one time they did let him have it on the break, he scored. Mm. Uh, and the second goal for Garnacho that wasn't was also a counter-attack. So that's United's strength rather than maybe transition and press for me. Mm. Um, and like you say, maybe it will take a change um, either with Amrabat coming in alongside Casemiro um, and then the front four press. And leaving those two, and that and that mm-hmm. sort of helps the middle of the pitch out. Maybe with the Anthony situation, we might see a Bruno Fernandez or a Mason Mount on the right wing, which I don't think would be the worst idea. So again, to bolster that that midfield, then you can have a sort of a box with four people all comfortable playing in central areas. One of them stepping off the right, um, just to give United more control. Because I don't think United have anywhere near enough of c- controlling games. Especially, like you say, 
Wolves and Forest at home. It was it was chaos. And I know that transition is often chaos um, in football, but United should be hemming those teams in um, and creating constant pressure and constant chances. And none of the four games so far has that been the case. They've all been sort of end-to-end basketball games, which mm. I'm sure Ten Hag doesn't want. Yeah, I I think we... I agree with you. I think the counter-attacking aspect of United is very good and still yeah. very good. But I think if you're going to play that way, you do need to be a good counter-pressing side as well in order to control the game. Not control the game in the sense of having possession, but controlling the game in the ebbs and flows and, and where, where the ball is on the pitch. And I think the experiment of Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes being those two tens and pressing from the front, I think is over. I think the way United need to play in those sort of games is, like you said, having a four that presses very aggressively and then having two players that sit off slightly more and be and just accept that maybe you're not going to get as many good counter-pressing opportunities, but that you'll have more control of the game if that get, if they manage the opposition manages to play through that. And what that will look like, I don't know. I think it will always be Casemiro, whether it will be Amrabat next to him or maybe even just Mason Mount dropping a bit deeper. That could work. Like I, I know Mason Mount hasn't played a huge amount as a centre midfielder. He has a bit over the last couple of seasons, but is traditionally a 10. I think he has the skill set to be more of a box-to-box, kind of sitting where Ericsson sits, but doing it being more mobile. That could work mm. I, I, I don't felt know sorry for Mount in the, those, the first two games that he played I think he was asked to do something which kind of left the team exposed and then kind mm. of scapegoated him for, yep. for the problems that United had and he's a good player he's a player that the managers seem to love and fans seem to hate and I don't I never really get that mm. well he's not a highlights player is he? he although he can hit a nice free kick he's not he's not the kind of player you go on YouTube to watch skill reels of but he is the kind of player who usually consistently gets on the pitch, although not since he's joined United, but usually consistently gets on the pitch, gives you a 7 or an 8 out of 10, does a lot of work off the ball. We have seen that even in his short time at United, how how active he is off the ball. And there is something to get from that. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Ten Hag saw Mason Mount, thought I can play this different system with Mason Mount, that system then didn't work. And then the fan base and the pundits, to a lesser extent, blamed Mason Mount for that. I don't blame Mason Mount for that. I blame the system itself. And you could argue Ten Hag for that. I think whichever way we do do it, it there needs to be a second player alongside Casemiro that can just provide a little bit more support if that first press breaks down. And it's also worth saying that having Hoyland up front instead of Martial or Rashford, will bolster the press as well. Because Martial is a useless presser, to be honest. Rashford is not a great presser, if, if I'm if I'm being fair. Hoyland, I think you saw, even in that 20-minute cameo against Arsenal, he, he's a hard worker, he's quick, and he's physical. And off the ball, if you can sacrifice Mason Mount dropping deeper, but then have Hoyland being able to basically work on both the two centre-backs that were against if they're playing a back four. I think that's still a pretty effective press that we will have then support if it gets broken down. So maybe that's the way of doing it. I'm just not sure where Amrabat fits in all of it. I think 
he's not a hugely defensive player in the sense of Casemiro. He's not giving you loads of interceptions. He's fairly good at, he's fairly competitive, but again, not super competitive. He's almost useless in the air, especially when you compare to Casemiro, who's one of the best centre midfielders in the air in world football, in my opinion. What he is very good at is keeping possession. He's very safe on the ball. And unlike Casemiro, who can be a bit risk, too risky for someone playing that deep and that isolated. And he's quite good at progressing it forward with his passing and his and his dribbling as well. So whether Amrabat is the kind of player who comes on against weaker opposition, someone who can sort of play through a bit more easily, I don't know. Whether he's the guy who just sits next to Casemiro and maybe him, Mount and Ericsson fight out for that position, I don't know. But yeah, it's not a signing that I have too much of a problem with. And I guess because it's a loan, we're not super committed to it. So if it doesn't work or it doesn't work within the system that we want to play, we can just yeah, move him on. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that ho- on that Hoyland issue. I've never seen a fan base quite so heartened and encouraged by such a limited cameo in my life. And I understand completely why, because there's so few positives to take around United at the moment. And Hoyland did well, don't get me wrong, but I quite find it funny how mad people were going on social media about 25 minutes from Rasmus Hoyland, in which he probably touched the ball less than 10 times. It, mm. it was quite funny. I, I, I've I got th- big hopes for him, having said all that. Yeah, so do I. I thought he looked really good. I, I've said on previous podcasts, I think he'll be good, but he, he won't be an immediate, immediate superstar. And I still stand by that. But I think the reason the fan base reacted so positively to Hoyland was because of how different it was. And we've not had a player Martial, like that. Beckhorst, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Played in When's the last time United had a striker who A, wanted to be a striker, B, a striker that's really willing to run the channels and C, having a striker that presses from the front? I genuinely couldn't tell you the last time we had a striker who was like that. Can you think of anyone? I can't. So I think that might be why the fan base Rooney. was so like, yeah, like a young Rooney when he was like 23 or 24. Now we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, it, it's nice to have and it helps you a lot. It helps you a lot, not only off the ball, but on the ball as well. Bruno Fernandes is going to love having another player making runs into the channel. And because he's so physical, centre-backs won't like playing against him. Like one of his trademark things, I spoke about this when we spoke about Hoyland specifically, is he loves to back up into centre-backs. Like he he's constantly like arms out like yeah, that, that, backing yeah. up and making it a, a real pain for them, and that's a breath a breath of fresh air. And I think that's why the fan base is so so joyous about it because it is it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, you knew Hoyland had impressed his teammates when he got the the throttle from Casemiro going up for a corner <laughs> at, at the Emirates. I thought he's he's impressed already here. Casemiro giving him the big vamos treatment or whatever he said. <laughs> yeah. So this is a defensive podcast, so we, we should probably finish on, on defence. Brighton yeah. is the next game, 16th of, of September. Uh, assuming that Varane and Shaw will be those out for that game and taking into account Brighton, who are the last team you want to play at the moment, given their form and how they overachieve and how United underachieve. But what is your starting defensive six, the back four and two in front of the back four for that game? Somewhat dependent on injuries, but I would have obviously Anana in goal, 
Wambasaka at right back. Although Wambasaka has frustrated me a little bit with his ability in possession. There's been a few times now in the last couple of games that he's given the ball away at like, in areas that we should have controlled possession and then suddenly we're being counter-attacked upon. But yeah, Wambasaka right back. I think Lindelof right-sided centre-back, so I think Varane will be out for that. Lisandro left-sided centre-back, because I think he will be back for that. And maybe Reguilón, depending how he's been in training, because he will, at that point will have had two weeks training at United. We'll understand the system a little bit better. So either Reguilón or Dallo. Casemiro, right-sided centre-back. Oh, no, right-sided centre-back. Uh, the right side of um, centre-midfielder playing the deepest role. And then... It, will Mason Mount be back by then? I don't know. Yes, I think he will be available, yeah. Probably yeah. Mason Mount in the deeper role, I think. Um, okay. I think he actually will give you more legs than Amrabat. And I'd like to see him in, in that sort of system as opposed to the system for the first couple of games. So I'm going to go with Mason Mount alongside Casemiro, but playing deep. Yeah, I think I'd go the same other than I would, I'd stick with Dallow. I don't think he's done anything wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And with the potential for teams to have left-footed wingers on the right, um, I think that kind of suits having a right-footed left-back. It can do with um, mm -hmm. him tackling on that foot or at least being shown onto that foot. Um, and then I'm having Amrabat because I I just think Brighton, you, you're your team that you want to control the, the midfield against. Uh, United, I remember that FA Cup semi-final last year where United were getting battered by Brighton and Ten Hag brought Fred on and he just disrupted the game a little bit and brought a, an extra body into midfield um, rather than having Eriksen there. Uh, so I'm going at Casemiro and Amrabat as a sort of um, a proper four-two-three-one, which is not something Ten Hag has, has done much of. But I think, like we said earlier in the podcast, might be just a necessity for for the short term to gain a little bit of control in matches. Yeah, my my issue with the idea of control in terms of like I assume you're talking about control in terms of having literally control of like the ball and possession. Having the ball, yeah, yeah. I think with Brighton because they're so good at that, I almost feel like it's a difficult one because Brighton are a really good side and they're also very good at play playing through a press. So pressing for the front also feels like a bad idea. Um, I, I, can see, I, I can see the case for putting Amrabat in there. I think it's an interesting point you make about Dallow because obviously they've got Solly March on the right who is left-footed. So that does help for a defender. My only issue with Dallow is in possession it's slightly awkward for him, especially when he's coming inside. His his sort of body orientation isn't quite right for building out from the back. Not his own fault. He's right-footed playing on the left-hand side. So that would be my main argument for putting Reggie on there. But I agree. I don't think Dallas looked bad at left-back. And like you said, might not deserve to be dropped. So Dallow on the left side, I'm happy with either way. I'm just interested to see what he does in the centre midfield because I think it will be a two. And one of them, I'm almost certain, will be Casemiro. It's just whoever's alongside him. And it, I think it's going to be either Amrabat, Mount, or maybe even Ericsson again. I don't know. Well, Ericsson, you made the same debate, the same point that I made about Dallow, really, and that he hasn't actually done much wrong. was one of the United's better players uh, against Arsenal, for sure. It, the um, 
The upcoming fixture list is certainly an interesting one after the international break. Brighton and Bayern Munich to start uh, that period before a few winnable home games. So those mm-hmm. those two are going to be a big a big test of United and may set the tone for for the next month or so. Hopefully the tone can only get better because it's the tone yeah. so far has not been great. Yeah, it's important that you talk about the actual teams that you're playing against and how that shapes the tone because the start of this season United have had one of the hardest like opening couple of games in the Premier League bar probably about Newcastle and I was looking at the expected goals for against and difference for United and then comparing it to the sort of games that we uh, the the opponents we've actually been playing against and our defense at the moment is the 13th 13th in the league in terms of expected goals conceded which obviously doesn't sound very good if you adjust it for the actual teams we've played against, and I did this using the Athletic, summed all the teams that people were against in terms of where they finished last season and then added up. So if you apply your first four games against Manchester City, that's obviously just one. And then bloody, bloody, blah. And the lower your score, the harder your running was. Well, not your running, but your opening fixtures. So I adjusted the expected goals for and against using that. It's slightly crude, but it gives you a rough idea of where teams are. United's defence then goes to about ninth, which is about mid-table, which looking at their expected goals last season and goals conceded isn't too far off where they actually were. And their attack goes to third, which actually isn't too bad. And the expected goal difference puts them at... It goes from 11th to 5th when you take the run-in into consideration. So although United fans might feel like, oh, United have gone from being good to terrible, the reality is we've actually had quite a hard run-in. We've been slightly unfortunate against good sides and things aren't as bad as they appear. United, uh, Ten Hag, United just need to tweak a couple of things. That's it. Well, that's that's nice. I was I was trying to search somewhere deep in my recesses in my brain for a, a a happy note to finish on, and you found one. There you go. So there you go. We're uh, not as bad as you think. <laughs> United are not as bad as everyone thinks. That's the headline. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. So um, that'll wrap us up for today's podcast. Um, you can. Keep following Alex's United and non-United controversially videos on Sabre underscore sports on Instagram, TikTok, etc. Um, and you can keep following this podcast on all the usual places. Um, thank you, Alex, for today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's nice to be back. Nice to be back. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.